Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. to the Study Religion podcast. My name is Erica Bennett, and I am a current student in the Religion and Culture Master's Program at the University of Alabama. As I finish up my last year of grad school, I have tried to prepare myself for a life outside of the academic system. I do not plan to go into a PhD program at the time being, so I have started to redescribe the skills I have gained during my master's program to better reflect what my future employees would look for. I've changed my CV to a resume. I'm looking into job search websites to understand how to describe those skills I already have. And I'm talking with professionals outside of academia to understand what will be expected of me. I am in a position of privilege compared to many of my fellow humanities graduates. Many students in the humanities go into a PhD program only to be wholly unprepared for the job market after they receive their degree. Whether they want to be professors in a field with only one tenure-track position open nationwide, or they want to transition into a non-academic career path, but have little to no understanding of that job market. What is the job market really like for recent graduates? How can students be more prepared for a life after college? How can already existing institutions tweak their approaches to further help not only those becoming professors, but all of their graduates? And is it still advantageous to get a doctoral degree in the humanities? In this special four-part series, I will be talking with recent UA graduate Jacob Barrett about his worries on starting a PhD program. We will be listening to interviews by a variety of voices in the academic community, to help flesh out the issues higher education has, figure out what students, faculty, and institutions can do to remedy these problems, and how to better prepare for jobs outside of academia.
Hi, Jacob. Hi. So I see you're all moved in. Yes, I got here a couple weeks ago. Um, I start classes soon. So life in Chapel Hill is starting. Yeah, so you're starting classes for your PhD program in religious studies at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, right? Yes, and I'm excited, um, but a little nervous. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've i gotten lots of advice from different um, faculty about going into academia and continuing education in a PhD program. And I keep seeing stuff all over Twitter that has me worried about kind of what comes after a PhD program with the state of the academic job market. So I have seen tweet after tweet um, from people who just completed their PhDs who can't find jobs in the field. And even outside of academia, um, they're struggling to find jobs. So I'm a little worried I'll fall in the same boat. And I just want to be prepared for whatever that looks like um, when I get to the end of my program. So I want to know what's going on, what's happening with graduate programs, um, and if there's anything I can do to prepare for succeeding in the future now. Yeah, that sounds super worrisome, Jacob. But I bet people would be willing to talk to us to explain what they've been tweeting about. Is there any tweets in particular that cause some worry? Yeah, I saw one the other day um, from Bradley Sommer. Okay, tweeps, I need help. Those of you with PhDs who are not in academia, but have jobs which require slash utilize your PhD skills, can you tell me here or DM, one, how you found it, two, how you got it, and three, where should I be looking? Bonus, four, maybe let me know if you hear of anything. Yeah, I saw that tweet too. Pretty much he was saying something about trying to find a job outside of the PhD and how can he use his PhD skills to find jobs outside of academia? Well, why don't I call it Bradley? Uh, Dr. Bradley J. Summer. And have a discussion with him about the tweet and about where he is after his PhD program. And maybe that will give you a little less worry. Oh my gosh. Yes, Erica, please. Thank you so much. I love you. I'm sure the tweet in question has been explained enough, but um, I can't remember what specific job I had been just rejected from. There was there was a job that I had applied for. I interviewed a couple of times, felt fairly confident about my chances, and then got that sort of universal email of, you know, you were great, you were grand, you were wonderful, uh, but we're going with somebody else with... XYZ reasons or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of frustrated because at that point I had been, I had only graduated in May of last year, but I had really functionally been on the job market since about February, mm. March of the year before. Once my dissertation was essentially done, and especially once I had defended, my advisor yeah. told me to go ahead and start applying for things because if anyone asked, he would say, Brad is on track to graduate. He, you know, for all intents and purposes, he's a PhD now. Yeah. Um, And when I got sort of thrust into the the job market, especially after graduation, this ramped up. um, I knew for a while that I probably wasn't going to be going into academia because of the way academia is right now. And I'm sure we'll get into more of that in a little bit. But I had applied for a few academic things 
couple postdocs, I think one full-time but not tenure-track teaching job. But by and large, everything else I had applied for, and this is still the case now, has been outside of academia, whether it's like kind of academia adjacent, like working yeah. for a, like a nonprofit higher ed sort of organization, or really, uh, you know, not, not in academia. And the problem is that I had no pre, uh, prior training or preparation or understanding of like what that world is actually like. And so not that I'm having success, you know, if success is being defined as having a job right now, then I'm not successful and no one's successful until they get a job. Uh, but if you measure success by getting a little bit better at the process and getting more feedback and more, more callbacks and stuff, I've been more successful. But early on, I was having very little success because I know that you don't just send a CV to a non-academic job. They do not want, yeah. for anyone listening, do not send an eight-page CV to a non-academic job. They are not going to read it. Um, I, I, I will not use any profanity, but they will not be happy uh, if you do that. Uh, but I also just kind of thought that if I took my CV and sort of had a, a truncated, hit the high points version, and then a cover letter that was just like, hey, look at me. I'm great, grand, and wonderful, and I have these abilities and this education, that I would have a lot more success. And I wasn't really having success um, and when I, when I posted that tweet, the frustration was, I feel like I'm doing a lot of the things that I've been told to do. Cause at that point I had been networking a little bit more, Yeah. but I still wasn't really getting a lot of practical success. You know, I was getting some interviews, not a ton. Um, I had been offered two things that I had to turn down because they simply didn't pay enough. You know, I won't, I won't say the job or the company, but $31,000 to work in the Washington, D.C. area is just simply not enough money. Yeah, that's, that's that's just totally not tenable for anybody. Um, so that, that, was the, that was the frustration behind the tweet, and that was the rationale for the tweet. You know, like, how did you find what you found? Because yeah. there are so many opportunities out there for folks coming out of grad school, whether you're coming out with a Ph.D., a master's of some variety, a law degree, and maybe you don't want to practice, you know, law like a law office or whatever there's a lot of options but where to find them is really really hard especially if you're in certain kinds of fields uh but then i also wanted to ask you know like there are a lot of things that you do when you're in grad school that you don't realize have i I hate to use the real world because it makes it sound like academia is not the real world kind of isn't but there's a lot of things you do in grad school that have real world applications but yeah. you don't know how to articulate them into the real world. You only know how to describe them in the academic context. Yeah. So the, the tweet was trying to basically get people who successfully were able to make that transition, whether it was right out of grad school or maybe they had worked for a while doing something in academia or whatever to figure out how did you find the job that you have or the, maybe maybe the first job that you got. Um what kind of skills did you have? Where did you, you know, how do you, how do you look for these jobs? Who do you talk to? Because I don't think that enough, I mean, enough is kind of putting it lightly. I don't think really anything is being done to help graduate students um, or even recent grads in certain disciplines, especially get into the jobs that are available, which are more often than not, not academia. 
what I'm hearing you saying is most of the the tweet is kind of, kind of coming from this frustration of knowing you have the skills, having this frustration, lack of resources, um, kind of leads you to this open forum like Twitter, trying your best to just get this right. Is that that's kind of what I'm hearing you say of like exactly like even how to to speak the same language. So like let me give you an example. There was a job that I applied for, and again, I won't name the names of any of these places because you know whatever. I don't owe any of these places anything because they turned me down, but I'll, I'll take the high road. Um, there was this job I applied for. Uh, it was a research analyst, research something or other. Uh, that's another thing that we can get into. The titles of jobs, disaster piece. Uh, but it was a research-heavy job at like a, a sort of active think tank. Um, and it was in an area of my expertise. It was in like labor and urban policy. So it was kind of a perfect mesh. And they wanted somebody with advanced degree experience. And so I think it required a master's and like four years of postgraduate experience or uh, like corresponding kind of other education. So like a PhD or a law degree, something to that effect. And so I figured applying for this job, I could just be like, well, I have a PhD in history specializing in these things. I wrote a dissertation, blah, blah, blah. And I got um, a preliminary interview, which is something that happens a lot for these industry jobs where it's not an interview with the company, but it might be an interview with like the HR department or maybe like a subcontracted HR department, which a lot of companies will subcontract that out, which is nonsense. That's a thing. And like one of the first questions they asked me was, so why is a history professor applying for this research-heavy position? And I was really taken aback by it because I was like, well, I'm not a professor. I just graduated. And you can see I, I haven't been a professor. Um, but I, I answered the question. I was like, well, you know, a PhD is a, a research degree. And they were like, in what way? Can you explain that? And I was, I was really taken aback because they weren't asking me to see if I could answer the question. I think this person truly didn't realize that a PhD was a research degree and that a dissertation is an original research project. It's the equivalent of writing, you know, a book, which we know, like people, people in grad school know, academics know that, but I don't think everybody knows that. So like even just translating the academic experience into the non-academic world has been really, really tricky. Um, And learning how to take, academic experience A and translated into something that makes sense in the non-academic world has been something that I've had to learn. And it's only in the last couple, two, three months that I can finally speak the correct verbiage to, to get people to understand what I'm saying. With these frustrations that are happening now, um, when you were going through school, grad school, going through PhD, um, did you expect, were you preparing for these struggles afterwards, how, when you were in it, when you were fully in the academic system, were you prepared for the job market that you were shot into? So yes and no. Um, I knew that it was going to be a tough academic job market. And I had known that for a while. You know, I'm, I'm 32 years old. So I've, I've lived through several once in a generation economic collapses at this point. And I knew that there weren't going to be a ton of academic jobs, even once I decided to go for my master's, let alone my PhD. At that point, I knew I probably was going to do something else. I didn't know exactly what, but I, I, wanted, I knew it was probably not going to be academia, at least probably not off the bat. 
Um, so I had started preparing in sort of subtle ways. Like I got really involved in a higher education nonprofit that's organized for and, and, and uh, organized by graduate and professional students. And through that, I met a lot of people, specifically people who work in like other higher education nonprofit organizations. Um, and I networked a little bit doing that. And I kind of leaned on those people a lot the closer I got to graduation being like, hey, so and so I'm going to graduate probably in a year. Uh, what are some things that I can do? Who are some people I should talk to? What are some organizations I should consider, etc.? Um, and that was that was helpful to a certain degree. Um, but I also wasn't prepared because um, I don't know how much you can accurately say the pandemic affected the job market, but I know it's a lot. Uh, I don't think anybody, I, 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 in hindsight, regret the two-year master program. I should have just tried to go to grad, uh, PhD program straight out because I could have graduated before the pandemic, but, you know, that is what it is. Um, but I kind of knew, but a lot of the stuff that I thought about um, the the non-academic career track stuff was right, but it also wasn't right. And a lot of it is stuff that I had to find out on my own. Did your program prepare you for this job market or what did you do to prepare for this? My, um, my program was a traditional program in the sense that it was like two years of coursework, doctoral exams, you know, read all these books, memorize them, write all of this stuff about them, prospectus, and then your ABD, you're just researching and writing your dissertation. Um, my cohort was, I think, the last or second to last cohort that had that. Um, a year or two after I did my exams, um, Carnegie Mellon's history department rebranded and restructured their program. So it's no longer geared so heavily towards uh, the exams, the exam system, because the exam system is really, a you know, if you're going into academia. I don't know exactly what they have now. It's some kind of like portfolio project that encompasses a lot of things. But at the time, they weren't really doing anything systemically or even on a one-to-one basis to really help us go into non-academic careers. The people who are who were in our program who got non-academic jobs, I'm trying to think, the four or five that I can think of either like knew somebody from like before they were in grad school, or I think like a couple of them just sort of stumbled into it like, you know, during the course of doing their dissertation, they just connected with somebody who was like, hey, you're great. When you graduate, you want to come work here? And, and then they did. Um, systemically, the department didn't have anything in place. The university absolutely had nothing in place. If you weren't a um, if you weren't a grad student in like robotics, machine learning, engineering, uh, et cetera, there were like no viable career placement services for you. There's people you can call, but they didn't really have a whole lot of advice other than go on Indeed. Do you think academics as a whole are preparing students um, for a life outside the academic system? No. Um, (laughs) Categorically, no. Now, academia as a whole, I should say, technically is a yes. Uh, But let me let me caveat that in the in the way that academics love to go. Well, it's not always this. (laughs) There are disciplines within academia where there are resources for uh, students who are transitioning out of their programs, whether it's because they're graduating or maybe they just were able to get hired with their existing credentials. 
Um, most professional degree programs already have had things built into that. So like, you know, if anyone listening is a lawyer or is a medical doctor or knows somebody who is, or even like I have a lot of friends who have MBAs, those programs have those kinds of things structured into them. You know, if you're a law student in the summer between 2L and 3L, year two and year three, you go and work for a summer at a firm, you get some experience. If you do well, you probably get an offer to work for them after you graduate and pass the bar. If nothing else, maybe you can get a recommendation from them for somewhere else. Med school, they have that whole placement system. Yeah. Uh, public policy students, MBA students. There's a lot of interning that can be done. So we'll, th- those programs are a little bit different. I think it's also getting to be a little bit more different in some of like the newer tech-based graduate programs. Again, yeah. being at a, a really tech-heavy school, the robotics, the computer science, a lot of the engineering students, um, there would be job fairs on campus where a lot of those aforementioned tech companies would come and they would set up booths like a high school science fair. And you would just walk around and talk to those recruiters and they would try and get you to, you know, come work for Facebook for a year after you graduate. And after a year, you'll get a job offer and you'll make, you know, hefty six figures and you'll be you'll be in like Flynn. You'll be good. Um, That is overwhelmingly not the case in a lot of the sort of like traditional, quote unquote, disciplines. So uh, history, religious studies, economics, physics, math you know, literature, languages, there's still this sort of like larger, and now this is where academia and the real world do sort of clash. Internally, everyone knows that we're not getting hired into academic jobs. Unless you are a PhD student at like an Ivy League school or one of like the three or four schools that are like directly beneath the Ivy League in your respective field, you're probably not going into a full tenure track academic job. Uh, And everybody in academia knows that. But people outside of academia, I don't think realize that as much, Mm -hmm. which I think is why I got that question from that HR person about why a history professor was applying for a job. There's sort of the conflation of PhD with professor, whereas, you know, one's a degree, one is a job title, and they generally overlap, but they're not synonyms. So I I think that a lot of people, especially people who are in the hiring industry, whether they're formerly HR people or maybe they're like the head hiring person on the hiring committee for a job, don't realize that um, a lot of people with with graduate degrees are not going into academia, but have a lot of easily transferable skills. Yeah. You know, I I think a lot of people look at somebody with a Ph.D. in um, engineering or maybe even a PhD in like a hard science like physics or something and might say, oh, well, there's a very clear industry, you know, position for something like that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that people look at history or religion or languages and go, oh, well, there's a clear industry for that. Like there's not a there's not a history factory that I can go work at and make the history. There's not like, you know, there's not some super prestigious you know, government lab where I go down into the archives yeah. and just sit and muse about things like Gandalf and, and you know, looking over ancient scrolls. So yeah. there's, there's, a, there's a bit of a clash between the, the internal like, knowing of what's going on with, within academia and the sort of external, I don't want to call it like a mirage, but like there's sort of a, a, a misunderstood external expectation of what, what graduate students are doing when they graduate. Yeah. 
both, I think, are partly to blame. But if I'm going to be completely honest, I think the larger share of the blame falls on academia because yeah. I think it's I think it's great and I think it's you know amazing when um, specifically like senior tenure track faculty will will go online uh, on Twitter or what have you and you know lament the decline of academia and oh no the discipline is it's it's going to cease to exist oh no this is terrible. And mm-hmm. it's like, wow, man, if only you were the person in charge who could make the changes to make this happen. If, if, only, yeah. if only I was a 70-year-old tenured professor with all kinds of clout and authority, and only, if only I was the department head and could make these changes. Um, I think a lot of the blame is in academia. Now, some of, that bla- uh, some of that blame is internal to, like, departments. Some of it is also at the university level. Yeah. You know, I, I do think that a, a non-insignificant number of like university presidents, uh, chancellors, what have you, um, still labor under this pretense that PhDs are just walking into academic jobs, full-time academic jobs. Yeah. Um, but I would say that academia is absolutely not doing enough to help us transition into the jobs that are available. And also, frankly, I think at this point, the jobs that we want. I mean, mm. I, I, I mean, even when there are full-time tenure track job postings a lot of people you know just in my experience don't want to apply for them they do because you need to have yeah. a job but there's almost a sort of sense of relief it's like oh whew, i didn't have to go be a professor at that university and you know labor for years to try and actually get tenure and then not even make a whole lot of money or maybe have to move to a state that you know socially and politically might not be the best situation for me so there's a lot of problems within academia uh, around the issue of graduate students getting jobs. What would be one piece of advice that you wish you had heard before entering your PhD or even your graduate school? I wish somebody would have told me, not in like a scare tactic way, but in like a practical way, to that I probably wasn't going to go into academia. I knew but it's one thing to have your suspicions and it's another thing to have somebody like tell you, Brad, eye contact, you are not going into academia, you know, um, that's, that's one thing. But one, one other thing kind of related to advice. Um, and I was on a, I, I did a podcast the other day where I talked about this and I've, I've said this on online before. I, and I sort of alluded to this when I was talking about, you know, advice versus, you know, sort of being, being mean about it. I am never going to yell at somebody who wants to go to grad school. Like I have no problem with being blunt and telling people like, look, it's a really hard market right now. You, you probably won't go into academia. If you do, it'll probably be as an adjunct or maybe a non tenure sort of full time year to year contract job. Um, I would also be blunt and say, if you're going to go into, you know, a PhD program specifically, um, start talking to people now, start looking into the kinds of jobs that you think you might want to do now, you know, um, try and maybe contact people who did graduate from your program that you're going into and see where they ended up and how. But one thing I would never do is tell somebody to just flat out not go to grad school if they have the opportunity. Now, I'm not going to make an assessment on somebody's ability to go to grad school in terms of like, do they have the time, the money, the funding, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I get annoyed when, when people 
will just flat out say, don't go to grad school, don't go to grad school, drop out of your program. Uh, because like a lot of the times the people that are saying that are people who have like, you know, tenure track jobs who went to like Harvard, you know, their parents were professors and it's like, you know, how, how dare you tell somebody to not pursue an education, especially if you're somebody who is first gen uh, or if you're, you know, going into a field where maybe there's, you know, a history of marginalization of certain communities. Like if you're a woman or a person of color or, you know, like I'm, I'm a I'm a queer person who's like, you know, first one of the first people in my family to go to grad school. Like, how dare you tell somebody to not get an education? So the yeah. people who the people who phrase it that way. To, to use the parlance of the youth can miss me with that nonsense. Uh, I have no time for that argument. I think it's disingenuous. I think it's hypocritical. And if that's the advice that somebody has for somebody, they probably shouldn't be in academia because they're clearly part of the problem. But I would definitely tell students, you know, reach out to people who you know of, whether it's somebody you know personally, like I mentioned, somebody who was in your program who went into a non-academic job, or... You know, I can I can only speak for myself, but I know that there are a lot of people on Twitter like me who aren't in academia, who probably aren't going into academia or are definitively not in academia, um, who'd be happy to give you advice on where to look. Yeah. You know, I've I have no problem giving people directions on how to you know look for non-academic jobs, the kind of job titles you should look for, the kind of organizations you should look for. That, I think, is way more constructive. You know, yeah. I, I, I don't want to... I, I hate when people fall into the trap of blaming the students because it's not the students' problem. You know, yeah. I, I, I see this a lot on, on social media or even every now and then in some, like, poorly constructed New York Times think piece where someone will be like, well, academia should be taking fewer students since there's fewer academic jobs. And it's like, well, that's also not it because... Yeah. There's fewer academic jobs for sure, but there's not fewer places for those people to go. They just don't know how to get to those places. Like, yeah. rather than say, hey, Alabama, don't take as many students, say, well, hey, Alabama, here are some resources that you can implement into your program top down systemically yeah. to help your students go into the places where they are likely to get hired. Here's how to help them develop the networks that they need, the skill sets that they need. And here's how to help them translate their university experience into real world experience. I yeah. think that's a way better use of time than going, well, you know, you shouldn't go to grad school. I'll, I'll never, never tell yeah. somebody to not go to school. I also think that there is sort of a pressure if you're, um, if you're a grad student getting a PhD specifically. I think there's yeah. sort of a pressure from family and friends, in particular, if you are first gen, to go into academia. You know, it, it yep. took... God bless my parents, but it, it, it took them several months of me telling them, like, I am probably not going to be a professor. But didn't you go to school to be a professor? Not really. I went to school to get this degree and get this skill set. It can be a professor, but like it doesn't have to be a professor. I think sometimes there's a lot of pressure to want to go into academia when you've been in academia, because mm -hmm. it's really easy to sort of get like retroactive um uh, what is it? Um, oh, imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. where like you and I both have PhDs. You have a, a really super fancy job as a professor at such and such university. And 
I'm, you know, uh, an analyst for a research company. There's sort of a yeah. social pressure to be like, well, I'm not as I'm not as PhD ish as she is. I my PhD is not being used as much as hers is because I'm not in academia. I think sometimes people put that sort of pressure on themselves. And I think sometimes Agreed. people in our social circles who don't know what it's like yeah. can also put that pressure on you. So I think I think that's part of the problem, too, is that there needs to be less of a I don't want to call it a stigma because it's an elite degree that not everybody gets. Um, but I think there's a sort of assumption about what you can and can't do with a PhD. Yeah. And I think that that's a conversation that more people need to have. So me and Bradley, pretty much as you listen to, we really talked about his journey outside of getting his PhD. We talked about how prepared he felt while in his PhD for the job market he was entering um, and then we kind of talked about what skills or what opportunities he wished he had had in the PhD program to better prepare him for his life now. Um, it was mostly an overview of where institutions are falling flat and helping their students succeed. Yeah, I really liked um, what he had to say about um, kind of the breakdown between like individual support he received and the institutional support that was there. Like, it sounds like he, um, the faculty that he was working with and kind of his network, um, that he had built were giving him really good advice. Um, but one of the bigger problems that he saw and experienced was that there wasn't this like institutional level of support from the university, Yeah, I think uh, talking with Bradley really helped understand why he tweeted his tweet and probably why lots of people in academia are tweeting uh, about the job market. Um, It's kind of mostly out of frustration and almost desperation for help. Uh, He's looking, he was looking for any help he could get and Twitter was kind of like the last ditch effort. I think after talking with Bradley, we kind of understand the base issues that are facing humanities graduates. I think it'd be really interesting to see what someone on the faculty side of that who might be like trying to offer that sort of individual support to make up for the lack of institutional support. I think it'd be interesting to see what someone like that has to say about this problem. Yeah, definitely. Maybe we can look back on Twitter. I saw that there was a ton of responses to Bradley's original tweet. And I see one in particular, Pamela Gilbert. Um, Well, my name is Pamela Gilbert. Responded a few separate times. So maybe we can talk with her. You know, one thing that's that's always been a kind of problem in the academy is that. um... Next time on this special series of the Study Religion podcast, we listen to Pamela Gilbert, an English professor at the University of Florida, to understand what faculty are doing to aid their students and what she has experienced in her years in the academy regarding the job market. The Study Religion podcast is a production of the Department of Religious Studies at the University of Alabama. This episode was made with the help of Bradley Summer, Jacob Barrett, and Erica Bennett. Follow the Department of Religious Studies on Twitter and Instagram at Study Religion or on Facebook at facebook.com slash R-E-L at U-A. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, and give us a rating and review 